Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. And pray for his sister Simone. Oh, yeah? Mm. Dude, yeah, shout how, out. How cool is that? Very cool. My goodness. I, I want to go up there and visit the Nashville Dominicans. And just see how many of them are there because of us. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're here because you listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just see her hand like waving in the back. Oh, <laughs> me, me. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful email. Hmm. Well, all right. So here's the deal. Um, I was watching Lord of the Rings the other night and I had, um, I it was, it was weird. There was a scene in Lord of the Rings that, uh, was like very powerful. It's a very, very beautiful moving scene. And in some weird way, I could not relate to the scene that I was watching. Um, because I, I don't know, um, I don't really know exactly what, uh, what honor is. And the whole scene was, um, was kind of framed around the honor of, you know, it was right, right towards the end of the movie of the fellowship of the rings when Boromir, who is the son of one of the stewards of Gondor and he's awesome. He's Boromir's a beast and he's what very talented he? he's a human he's just a regular okay. dude yeah but he's he's super cocky very arrogant very prideful but also like a great leader very confident very courageous um he's a complex character and he has this like insane love for his people for his father who he's not the king but he's the steward of gondor so he's is he's, that the place with the worm tongue and all that no, that's oh. Rohan. Oh, okay. Come um, on, bro. Catch up. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a little bit. He, his dad is uh, in Minas Tirith, which is the, the White Tower. It's like the big, 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 big city that has the multi-layers to it. And um, he's not a king because there's a whole other line of kings, but he's the steward. So he's just sitting and waiting and managing until, you know, supposedly the the king returns but oh minister yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Where they're up on a big hill and that's that's where the big battle down below happens oh yeah which is awesome but this final scene i don't know if y'all remember it with uh before boromir dies he... whoa forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert hang on <laughs> no dude these movies they are like 20 years old now I've never uh, even seen him. I just read the book. As, can you, you know, believe that? Two years ago. As I do know that. I did know that. <laughs> I was proud of you for that, Connor. Yeah. And you enjoyed thanks. them, didn't you? I did. It took really, a while. I really think you would like the movies, honestly. But, okay, so so Boromir in this final scene, he, yes, Rob, I just got that. <laughs> um, he falls, like, right before... Um, right before the fellowship breaks up and he, he actually tries to take the ring from Frodo and um, 
and Frodo puts the ring on and, and disappears. But that's like Boromir's last interaction with him. And, you know, what, what follows after that is they get attacked by all these orcs and, and he, he dies. Boromir dies. But as he's dying, um, one of the things that he is, he's like in a panic about this is he was so afraid of um, the dishonor that he brought upon himself and upon his family. Um, and he, he was in a panic to hear from Aragorn, which is like, you know, this really important figure um, and his kind of counterpart that he actually did, that he did die with honor. Um, and the whole scene was framed around whether or not this is something that, that he maintained um, or if it was something that, that he kind of spoiled away by attacking Frodo right there at the end of the movie. So, you know, not, not to get too much into the scene, but there's two other hobbits there that he actually defends and gives his life to save. And they end up getting swooped away, but he takes like four or five just monster arrows right in the chest. And he, and he dies uh, like defending these little hobbits, um, really trying to give his life to save them. But the whole scene when he's laying there dying, and you know, I, re- I remember reading it in the book as well. He is like, in a sense, begging Aragorn to say, to tell him, like, "Hey, you died in an honorable death. That you died um, with respect, and you died as a as a good warrior and a good soldier, and all these different things." And and it kind of it just dawned on me. I I have no idea what what it is to to fight for honor or or to to have this feeling of honor um that it it seemed like it was his like last dying wish more than anything more than even saving his life you know he's got all these arrows in him and aragorn attempts to save him and he's like no just let it go and and aragorn's just constantly consoling him and saying no 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 you actually are dying with honor you gave your life to save like the defenseless and all this. And to be honest, I, it was something that I wanted to feel, but I, I have no idea what, um, what it looks like to, I guess, maybe feel that, uh, virtue of honor or to, to like, to long for that. And it was odd because it was the most important thing in the dying man's eyes and like I, I don't know if I've ever felt this longing for honor before. Um, yeah, just wanted to th- see if y'all had any thoughts on that. Hmm. Honor. You know, cool the question. first thing that made me think of was um, the Book of Daniel, the story of Susanna, and the two creepy elders that try to rape her. Yeah, and she she's caught in between a rock and a hard place because they threaten to lie about her if she doesn't give in, but she would rather die um, without dishonoring herself before God, even though she knows she'll be dishonored before all the people uh, because they're powerful and they're going to lie about her. But there's something to me about honor that's sort of like a public reputation, you know, 
Like I don't want to disgrace my family, disgrace my good name. Um, I think honor and honesty are related. It seems to me like you've, you've lived an honest life. Um, but there's uh, obviously layers to it, you know, like there's a, an honor that's invisible. I mean, Baron always talks about what is it? Wealth, pleasure, power, and honor are the three big idols, temptations. So there's certainly a negative. Aren't those four um, things? <laughs> what did I say? Three? <laughs> it's early. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Never correct me again. <laughs> I don't. Um, that was a glaring thing. You know, I just wanted to throw it out there. Wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. Uh, but I think there's also a good a good one, um, which the Susanna story to me, like a, a woman with honor, that seems to me like something in the Old Testament that was highly praised, like in the book of Proverbs and stuff. Yeah. You know. And we even talk uh, about like... A woman's honor is a huge sin. Right, right, right. And, and we talk about it in the verb form, like we're supposed to honor God and... Um, you know, I don't even, I don't I guess I don't know what that means. Like, and it was so, it was so bizarre in watching the movie. Cause it's like, I, I think this was legitimately one of the highest values back in the day, you know, whenever that was. And I can't really relate to this very much. Um, yeah. I just don't know what it is, you know? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines Don't honor as high respect, you. great esteem, adherence to what is right or to a conventional standard of conduct. Hmm. The verb is to regard with great respect. It's, yeah, it's a really cool question. You know, I think how I use it, I'm just thinking of like how I use it because you have seen it and I, it, to me it's somehow rooted at least in, yeah, I'm used to saying it, is it's rooted something about like being outside of yourself or like living for some type of, of higher thing or person than just you. Because um, I just think of, I don't know, like people even that I've just known in ordinary circumstances that I would say like are honorable men and women or somebody that died an honorable death, like not, you know, that's a great scene with Boromir, but I guess what, what immediately comes to mind are, are the people I've been around that like, even on a deathbed, we're still like trying to live for someone else, which I've seen before. Like I've talked to people about that, that they want to like still be a good, um, example like for their kids or their grandkids or to um yeah just some somehow to to do that i was also thinking yeah honor and honesty that probably would be tied i don't know there i was thinking the other word that i just associate with it too that dmac has talked about before is nobility which he just calls like it's like the knowableness yeah. of a thing yeah. where could yeah. I remember asking him the question, <clears throat> we may have talked about this. <clears throat> Why is the effect of walking into St. Peter's 
basilica in Rome, like so similar in certain ways of like walking into the Missionaries of Charity Chapel in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, because those are radically different places um, of like just worldly beauty and, and all this there. And he had this great answer. He said, like, they're both what they should be. They're both knowable properly. So there's nobility in both of them. Um, so I don't know if that's tied or or not. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. It, even Well, even listening to y'all talk it out as well, um, a couple of thoughts that come to mind is, yeah, that idea of being what you're supposed to be, um, like this integrity of life that your actions match who you are, who you say that you are. And I guess it's interesting around that scene is um, the idea of betrayal is there were, there was a moment or there were times when you did something that was not you, that was not becoming of you. And it was kind of a betrayal of, of a truer part of you, of your identity. And I don't know, my dad used to always say, um, well, in defining, I mean, we're just talking about kind of virtues here, but, uh, character is what you do when nobody's looking and it kind of got, even as a little kid, it got at something deeper that like, I, I really did want to live a wholeness of life, um, that, like was was true to myself essentially i I know it's that kind of sounds like self help type language but um but I guess I juxtapose that to having the feeling of uh knowing when I've betrayed myself, and you're like, dude, I shouldn't have darn it i uh I know that um I know that I'm meant for more than that, and having those moments of living with an integrity of life um yeah i you you become knowable you reveal what you are you are what you're supposed to be well this kind of brings up another thing that i've been compelled by in literature but never really understood or identified with which is in like some of c.s lewis's books um i'm thinking of paralandra from the space trilogy or all the Chronicles of Narnia, where there's, um, like in Paralandra, uh, the Adam and Eve characters are, I think even from the beginning before the climax and the outcome of, of the whole story, are sort of referred to as a king and a queen, that Adam's purpose was to be a king. And in the, in the end, that's where he's destined. And the, the devil character is trying to get him to sort of betray that and become a slave, you know, um, and same with the Eve character that they're supposed to reign, but it's all this kind of medieval type of stuff. And the same thing with, um, the kids in Narnia, I think in the horse and his boy, don't they, they're not like the main characters, but they kind of come into the scene and they're all royalty and they're a little bit more grown up than they are in the first one. You know, remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're like coming. I think they're like coming through the boy. town uh, and the horse and his boy, the, the boy sees the queen and king and the royal court and everything like that. Um, and it just seems like Lewis kind of understood that that's 
in a way because both of those stories are about sort of like the destiny of man um and not obviously not everybody is equal in the like hierarchy of of personalities you know but some are chosen to kind of rule in in big ways and we're all but we're all priest prophet and king so like our true identity is that royalty we're viceroys of the great king you know aslan or or god um i can't remember how it's referred to in paralandra but um i guess you know in my imagination as i pray i don't i don't maybe it's because we were talking about this with my team the other day we, we read this article about the disenchanted world mm. and the buffered self and uh kind of the modern way of looking at the world and ourselves and personality and it's not as hierarchical i mean it's it's good in a sense like everyone's created equal um like all of the modern ideas the enlightenment ideas on which this country's founded and human rights and all that stuff is um you know clearly good and uh true but there's something also lost in the in the from the enchanted world um where like the truth of who we are and what we're here for is invisible it's not you know the world is not just sort of like dumb matter for us to scientifically manipulate and harness for a more comfortable life and then your inner self is sort of this like um impenetrable like seat of your opinions and your beliefs and all this stuff that you're kind of like free to choose and we need to respect that um you know the the enchanted world was was scary it was full of like good and bad forces and guardian angels and patron saints and demons and fairies and um heresy was taken very seriously because it was like if somebody believes something that's wrong that might bring a curse on an entire village you know um so but i i do think that enchanted world is more amenable to that like obviously the lord of the rings is enchanted you know there's explicit magic and and all this stuff and it kind of makes visible what i think tolkien is saying is invisibly going on which is the like ignatius's two standards you have to choose what army you're fighting for whose army you're going to serve in what king you're under um so that's not really like the buffered self and we're all just individuals kind of making up our minds about what the meaning of the universe is it's like you know you have to choose one or the other uh, do you choose honor to live up to who you are to be a a servant in the king's army or are you going to join the other army um so i don't know that if that's related but it seems to me like maybe that's what makes honor not as clear of a virtue to the modern mindset is that it, if it's living up to who you are we kind of think like who i am is whoever i choose to be you know what i mean hmm. versus like there's some objective reality of why i'm here and i can either live up to that or fail to live up to that and the who said the greatest tragedy pigui the only tragedy is not to become a saint um that's to come to the end of your life and like your last act was to try to steal the ring you know you're like oh what a waste i've dishonored myself oh doyle i have a feeling something's gonna bad's gonna happen to you and your whole family <laughs> <laughs> Doyle rules. 
Rod, did you have? I I had um I I guess a thought on that. Did you have anything you want to add? Go ahead. I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, I, and oddly enough, an, so when I was praying with this, because I, I kind of noticed and and had like a longing. I wish I knew what honor was more and at least could uh, see the value of it, which is such an odd thing. You know, it's, it's one of the four great temptations, right? Um, or I wonder the four great three. goods, three, I think it was three, yeah. maybe 12. Uh, and so it was, it was weird because it, like, I know that I, um, I, that I've experienced it. But I, I, I really do struggle to identify it in the modern world and in my own life. Um, so I, I definitely think the, yeah, the living into who we were created to be, like uh, there is an objective reality about us and we can either choose to be honest to it or not. Um, and I certainly, I guess I do feel that um, intensely. And, and Lord of the Rings the ring is such a cool image um, and is so, so compelling uh, that it, it just, it makes that really clear that distinction between good and evil. And yeah, you know, like you said, which, which banner you're going to fight for and fight. I mean, it reminds me of your story about Chris. Oh yeah. You know, like you're oh, appealing yeah. to, you're appealing in a way to his honor. Right. Right. Which and, maybe and, is a desire for an integrity of life. Like I, that that's in accord with the rest of your family and, and your history and where you're from and all these things that you have been given. Are For you Robin, a good... KT forgets it's the root beer story. Oh yeah. 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 Are you a good steward of the things that you've been given? Well, so the other scene that, that popped into my mind as I was praying with this, oddly enough, have you ever seen the movie Cinderella man? Yes, of course. Oh my gosh, dude, it's so good. Um, But there's that just amazing scene. You know, it's Great Depression. Everybody's struggling. Uh, This boxer's... um, Is is he doing like a second vocation kind of a thing? Like he was a great boxer and then... Yeah, I think so. And then diminished and then, yeah, fought to get back into it. Um, Yeah, what's his name? He has such a cool... James J. Braddock. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I love and the coach. The coach in that movie is so good. It's awesome. They're the short guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He is. He is great. Um, but there's that scene. You know, it's the Great Depression, and and nobody has any money, and his family is like gonna starve, and and he has to go up into the the upper room. You know, the the upper echelon of the hierarchy of society, and and he puts his hat out. And he just starts begging for money and he has to go and take a loan at the bank and you know, it's stuff that clearly he'd never done before. And no, he goes to the welfare office. He goes to the welfare office too, but, but he does go and beg for money from yeah. all of these big hotshots. And yeah, he goes to the welfare office and, um, and, and then after he hits it big, he actually goes in and gives that money back to the welfare office. And, um, you know, he, it seemed to me like, oh, this is like a guy who's living an honorable life. But the odd thing about it is that like that scene that really stuck with me, I think it was because I watched it with my dad and he was like, I, I think he cringed with um, Russell Crowe's character 
and having to come and beg before all of these people, which which looks kind of like a dishonorable act. And yet it was, Rob, like you said, like for the good of others. Um, and also him living into this reality of him being a father that he had to provide for his family. So here's a here's a beggar who's begging in front of the you know, the, the upper echelon of society. And yet there was still something really honorable about it. Like those are the two scenes that came and and paired together. Um, and the scenes of him paying back that money really seemed more like a revelation of the honor that was already present within him. Um, yeah. So I don't know that that was the other scene that came to mind. I agree. He's still honorable, even though he's doing something from a, and that reminds me of the two standards, uh, meditation and spiritual exercises, because I think, man, I wish I had this memorized, but there's like four steps and I'm getting numbers wrong this morning, but like the devil to tempt you into his army, he puts before you riches and then honor and then do you remember what I'm talking about? Whereas Christ puts poverty and insults hmm. and humility. No, I think it's three. It's uh, riches, honor, and then pride. That's um, right. Three. Riches, honor, pride, and glory. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas uh, to be honorable, be an honorable, so to speak, member of, of the army of Christ is to suffer dishonor, worldly dishonor, you know, which is kind of like the Susanna story too. Um you know, that scene in Cinderella Man is powerful because it would be one thing if somebody who just was like a mooch and a loafer and lazy went up to, you know, just asks for some money. Those guys would not have been as shocked as they were, but they knew this man to be an honorable man, Mm. a good father, a fighter. And uh, yeah, he was stooping to this level. So that's part of why I think they gave the money. They they were like, this is not... This is not him. This is a guy who, I mean, in a way, he he was. It's an act of virtue because he's putting to death his pride. You know what I mean? In order to provide. Yeah, my question that I'm trying to work on here is, I mean, do you think it has to be given? Um, that that. I don't know. I'm just thinking of, of all that and like how I, where I've seen it um, today of like, yeah, that was an honorable thing or this is an, um, an honorable person or this was an honorable act. And like it, it I think it does, man, this is vague, but it, it has to come from, from some type of, of framework that like we define it and receive it. And I think family is the one it's interesting. You started with like Boromir and his, like his honor for his people and like the importance of his family in there. And there's something, there's something there, um, to it of, it's like how we know how to do it is from whatever I call it framework that, that we're in. So it'd be easy to say like, Okay, I am. Um, my first priority is like to know 
who I am, like to know what family I come from and to represent them well. And I think that's very tough to do, especially if we like spread ourselves out so much in the world today of, let me rephrase that. I think it's easier to live honorably when we accept the fact that like our world, our world is pretty small Hmm. and like our sphere of influence is pretty small, which is totally antithetical to like the social media. Like I have a platform society that we're living in right now. Um, my my personal brand is honor. My person, <laughs> right? I, yeah, that's exactly. what I rep online. Well said. Well said. Uh huh. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense. There's just something to that. In Dude, me. and I go one hundred. Yeah, I don't. The point that you just made, I it resonated with me big time. Um, can can you maybe say a little bit more about um the statement you just put forward? It's easier to live honorably when you recognize how how small your world is, that your sphere of influence is not that great. That's it. I mean, it, um, there's, and, there, and I guess that's, maybe that's like, it keeps going back to that tie to like nobility um, to me of just like knowing yourself in reality. Um, I was thinking it's funny of like even tying the scriptures in of like, I love that Susanna story, but um, yeah, I mean, just how I was thinking of the, um, the woman who gave the, you know, the two coins, um, when everybody else was giving so much more, but she gave everything that she had, like, it seems pretty clear that there's a notion of like, she was the honorable one in, in that story as well. And there, I don't know, there's just something to that when you can frame it in, in that way of like, being an honorable human being yeah you it like it has this aspect of like representation of something other than yourself and i think that's oftentimes it can be easily framed through a family which is certainly where i probably relate to it most but then if you think about different like subcultures that you've been part of and how you could throw around the word honor like that would be, it's just, and, and maybe it's defined incorrectly there, but um, it's just interesting how that like notion can, can drive it is um, trying to think of an example, but like, you know, I mean, think of like, think of like, you know, baseball culture or basketball culture or whatever. And like the guy who is the both like a really good player, but like, you know, plays honestly and like maybe has some type of like honest action that isn't required of him. Like there's an honor code in those sports or you think of even like, I mean, this could get into some negative aspects of whatever they call it, like identity politics, but you think of how like subcultures have honor codes as, as well. like, this is the thing that you don't do if you're part of this group or, or that group. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know, there's just, that's a little bit broader. Um, but it's like, it's like necessitated to live, to attribute like this word honor to an action or a person. It's like, no, you're, 
you're part of this group. Like you're under this standard. I like that Connor a lot. Um, and I think that's pretty present whether or not we accept it or, or not. So there is like an acceptance of actually, yeah, for, you know, billions of people know our names because of this podcast. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, but maybe our sphere of influence is only like 2 billion instead of 3 billion. Mm -hmm. Um, mm. I don't know. That's too far. I would say that's too far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Humility is truth, man. You don't have to. I was tracking with you. Yeah, I, was, I was tracking with you until the very end. Mm -hmm. Well, so how about this? Try I want to flesh it out. Go, too. Go yeah. No, that's it. That's it. I mean, it goes back to that point of how you repeated it, Mike, of um, there is like it, it necessitates that like you you accept that your world is small so what i'm one of the things i'm thinking of i read this book a long time ago a culture of honor it was by a protestant pastor i think a friend of mine gave it to me um and i read it in seminary so it's it's been a while but um what i remember about it is like as christians we we honor one another you know and to in the kingdom of god we don't like use one another in order to puff ourselves up, we imitate the savior who did not deem equality with God, something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. You know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must become the servant of all. That's our ideal. Um, but I think honor, I mean, going back to the verb form, the to honor is, uh, it's a social virtue, you know, um, I think the sinful, the temptation to honor is when we try to honor ourselves or like we specifically do things in order to gain esteem and reputation rather than live out of the authentic um, self, you know, uh, giving of ourselves no matter what, even if it means insults and the cross and everything. Uh, to honor is to like Jesus suffering dishonor on the cross is explicitly in order to honor the good in us. I mean, he, despite ourselves, despite we're the ones that are doing this to him, he sees the good in us that we can't see and he honors it and lifts it up. And so unmasks all of our, of our evil impulses. Um, he doesn't return insults and say like, I don't deserve this. I'm the son of God. How dare you? You know, he takes it on in order to honor us. Um, but one of the things about the big online world versus your, you know, um, my grandpa used to always say to my aunts and uncles, his kids, whenever they would say like, Hey, can I do this or do that? Or, um, or if they did something or asked if they could do something that would dishonor the family, he would always just say, what's your last name? You know, mm -hmm. meaning like, what's, what's your primary identity, um, is a member of this clan of this family. And that's, that's who, you represent whenever you go out into the world and you bring either honor or dishonor on the family, which is kind of a, an older way of thinking. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, who knows who the coils are, the people in town, you know, the people at your school, people in your parish or, or work or things like that. Not really like the whole world, like our influence with the podcast obviously is, is extraordinary, but, um, <laughs> ordinarily you, uh, 
the people who know you um, are people who know your face and your personality. And um, and in this article we read the other day, one of the things he's talking about with the digital, I, I think I sent you guys this article, the Analog and Digital City last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, I haven't read I it yet, but yes. Yeah, sorry, man. It's all right. Um, there's a piece in there about uh, the self and how you know, like in the age of um, being able to reproduce a work of art, for instance, when you could make a, a really faithful reproduction of like a Rembrandt, um, the question of like, what is art? What makes art art? It's, and one of the words is the aura of a, of a piece of art is part of its essence, you know? So it's, it's unique. Like when you're around an original Rembrandt, when you look at it, there's something about being in its presence like that's why you go to the museum, even though you could look it up on Google images or order a poster print of it and put it up in your room. It's not the same. And you could tear up that poster and not really feel bad because it's just a rep- it's just a, a reproduction. Whereas if you were in the presence of the original Rembrandt, that's the only one in the world of those that there is to tear it would be a great crime. Um, and the thing about the avatars of ourselves that we put online is that they're kind of reproductions and they're often heavily managed where we're trying to put out out a certain persona. We're not being authentically who we are and relating to people on a personal level. It's just this social game where you're trying to like win uh, by presenting a version of yourselves that you think that people will like. Um, And so it's very easy for people to tear into that avatar because it's not really real uh, or I mean, they don't really, it's hard to imagine the real person that's behind it, behind the screen, which is why you get a lot of like vitriol and stuff in com boxes and Twitter replies and things like that. So we don't really like honor one another as much. Um, but I think that's, that's where your comment about the small world, small sphere of influence thing is actually liberating because to just kind of opt out, I mean, online is great. Uh, for what it's good for, but it's not really great for, for, um, it's not easy to honor one another or build a culture of honor in a big anonymous world. Whereas a small, very personal world where people can know themselves to be known, then it's much, I think easier to like be motivated by that. You know, I, I, even reading Lord of the Rings, I always felt like the world was kind of small, even though it's it's this big Middle Earth and the journey takes a long time. You, you still feel like the characters are knowable because it's kind of a small world. Yeah. Well, I Whereas thought you get of, on the, you, go ahead. Well, and um, yeah, like five minutes here. So when you guys can have the last word, but the, this is the last thing for me. The I thought of the scene there, too. I've only seen this movie once, but the the Superman movie that came out like maybe 10 or 15 years ago ish. I don't maybe it's shorter than that. Is that the one where there's an entire planet of kryptonite that he pushes off of earth and still doesn't die? Could be honestly, no idea. Um, drove me nuts. <laughs> yeah. It drove me nuts. But like you have one vulnerability and this thing still can't kill you. <laughs> then what's the point? Okay. Let's bring it back to what we're talking about here. And, uh, but there's this scene of, he's like a kid and, you know, he's got these superpowers and, and all of that. And he's like overwhelmed by it all. 
and he's talking to his mom and I don't remember the exact quote, but he says something to the effect of like the world is just so big. And so she says then to like this kid who is also Superman, she says, well, just make it small. Like just make it small. And that was like kind of the, <clears throat> the piece that made everything fit, at least in remembering what I do about that movie. But it's a powerful scene. And I, I would say I've never thought about it in this sense, but I, I think that's it's kind of like this. Well, here here is like an opportunity to um, to live honorably, even for Superman is like, oh, man, the world's so big and overwhelming. What can I do? Well, just make it small and do that. So anyway, I don't know if that's related or not, but that's you can take us home here. Land the plane. Well, I mean, I dude, this has been very helpful, actually, because um, I, I do think that's pro- it's probably why it's challenging and it's not a valuable uh, virtue in the modern world because so much of it is accepting an exterior standard that's been given to you, um, either from your past or from, like you're saying, these, these bigger uh, cultures or subcultures. Um, because I think the temptation and the desire is like, I, I'm totally free. So radical autonomy and I'm totally free to create myself, which means that I, like, I don't really owe anybody anything. And, you know, I, I, I certainly fall into that at certain points. And, you know, even thinking about, um, when I dishonor my family, it's like, dad, you can't tell me what to do. I, I don't have to listen to that. I'm going to do my own thing. And usually I go off and do something stupid <laughs> and I, and I do, I, I, because I'm not living into the reality of, of who I am and, and who I've been called to be and, and created to be. Um, yeah, so I, I think you see, you see, it's kind of like the teenager sees his connections as kind of imprisoning. Whereas I think to live into honor is where you see my connections to other people and their dependence on me and my actions affecting everybody else, not just me, is actually good. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And and the desire is just to live so big. Man, Rob, I got to tell you that the small world thing is really helping me out a lot. Um yeah, I'll just, I'll, I guess I'll just finish with two thoughts is I'm doing this consecration to divine mercy through St. Therese that um, it's along the 33 days to morning glory type series with Father Michael Gately. And, you know, it's, it's this kind of like four week deal that he preps you for this consecration and teaches you about the saints and, and about mercy. And can we cut and, it? Cause I just, that's a lot of free advertising that I just wanted to <laughs> Sorry, no. He's gonna. Hopefully, he'll he'll send us these his books. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Just money's yeah. fine. Just yeah, that's true. Money. Um, and well, all he's been talking about is how Therese, um, in this in this wild paradox, um, was able to live as a great saint because she was so small. Um, that her desire to be little was the thing that actually made her capable of receiving the greatness of God and the glory of God. And in doing that, like, I mean, maybe just to put 
this word to it. Like she, she honored God fully by saying, I am totally dependent on you. And I actually, I recognize that and I true, and I choose to live that way. Um, and so her littleness, you know, in the words of this book is she stooped to the lowest level and God's love is like water that it always sinks down to, to the bottom, to the lowest level, and then raises her up through that. Um, but it's because she chose to be so small and, and she realized it, acknowledged it, accepted it and embraced it and, and then just went full receptivity. Um, and so that, that's certainly that. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this story. It's very simple and I don't even know how it ties in with all of this, but it seems like it does. Yesterday I was driving home from a workout and I just lifted probably about a thousand pounds worth of weights. It was crazy. totally yoked. I was yoked out of my mind. That's that's the story. It fits. (laughs) 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 That would be the antithesis of everything that we just said. So I'm struggling to drive, right? Because I'm muscle bound and I can't really turn the wheel very well because my biceps, obviously. And uh, where was I going with this story? (laughs) and I'm driving with the window down. I'm listening to this music. It's just like a really beautiful, just kind of peaceful moment, having a lot of fun, just enjoying life. And this bus pulls up right next to me. And in the bus next to me, I I can see through the window, but it's a little bit tinted. And there's just a, a little family, just a mom and her daughter sitting on the bus. And, you know, it's just one of those kind of awkward, for a second, awkward moments when you're parked next to each other. And you're looking, and then they look, and then you both look at the same time, and then look away, kind of a deal. And this little girl, maybe two, um, this little girl is just staring at me. This is this cute, cute little girl. And I kind of do the look away thing. And, and then she just starts waving at me, waving at me from this bus window. And it became, so I start waving back, and we're just smiling and like laughing at each other. And then the mom's waving at me. And, and it was like a five a five second interaction, and then they drove off, and I drove off too, and I I was just it like changed my whole day. I was smiling for like the next minute or two, um, but it was just this really it was this really small interaction that um, just brought profound joy into my life with a, a real face that uh, I don't know it was so simple and it was so little. It was so short, but it was so real. I I loved it. That's awesome, man. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.